evening and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. We've got a great show on tap for you guys tonight uh, on this Wednesday. Once again, just a reminder, Carving It Up moving from Thursday to Wednesday now. So we got we got Monday, Wednesday, Friday shows. Again, staying the same time, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time, Twitter, YouTube, as always. Uh, but again, I would call this like the quarterback show. We're talking about a lot of quarterbacks today. Going to lead off talking about the Packers, who were reportedly in the running for Jonathan Taylor, despite having Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, one of the better two-headed monsters, uh, two-headed monster backfields that we have in the National Football League. To me, that tells you a lot about Jordan Love. Also getting getting to the New England Patriots, who continue to make decisions that defy any explanation, any logic, in that they have uh, cut both of the, the, they cut their second and third string quarterback but then resign them to the practice squad. One of them being uh, Bailey Zappi. I've been accused of being like a Bailey Zappi lover. I'm like, no, I just, I, I think we got to be more object- objective about Mac Jones and who he is and frankly, who the Patriots are going to be this season, which is not very good. I'll get into that later in the show. Also going to discuss NFC South strengths and weaknesses going division by division for the past couple of weeks. Got to the NFC South today, did the AFC South on Monday. Again, it's probably the worst division of football. So you could say, hey, where are the strengths? I asked myself the same question, but they exist. I promise. Here's the tragedy. One of these teams has to make the playoffs. One of these teams has to make the playoffs in an already weak NFC. So, you know, one of these teams we're going to be seeing playing in in mid-January and hopefully not beyond that. I don't anticipate it will be beyond that. Going to get into that in the show. Also, uh, the Matthew Stafford thing with uh, his wife, Kelly, uh, talking on her podcast about him struggling to connect with younger teammates. A lot of people have been bashing Matthew Stafford today. I'm here to come to the defense of old, the guy I used to call Stat Patford. Okay. I'm going to have to come to Matt Stafford's defense today. Get, 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 get off my man's back. Not saying the Rams are going to be great, but I got to, I got to fend my guy and give, give the greatest quarterback ever some love in that segment. You'll see what I'll do with that. But first, so the Green Bay Packers are going to be one of the more watched, mediocre teams in the NFL. There's no question that they are not going to be in the running for a Super Bowl, e- even in the weak NFC, as I've said. And I don't think they're going to be abysmal. Do I think Matt LaFleur is an elite head coach? I do not. I have no evidence to tell me that. He had Aaron Rodgers. He's talking about the three straight years with 13 wins. Uh, you know, three, three straight years in a row with 13 wins. Yeah, he had an, an MVP quarterback for two of those. And by the way, made some very questionable coaching decisions in two of those playoff games in which the Packers season came to a close. Um, but they've got a solid roster. They got Aaron Jones, they got AJ Dillon. Offensive line is still excellent. David Bakhtiari's still there. They've still got Christian Watson had a solid rookie season as a wide receiver. They got Romeo Dobbs. They like both guys. Defense is gonna be underrated. Jair Alexander to me is the best corner in football. There's some positive there, there's an avenue for the Packers to maybe sneak into the playoffs. I don't think they're in the same league with Detroit today. I think Detroit is a significantly better football team in terms of the coach. I never thought I'd say that, but in terms of the coach, in terms of the quarterback, in terms of the the, the weapons, the offensive line, the whole bit. But Green Bay, as weak as the NFC is, they can sneak into the playoffs. But Adam Schefter reported today. So Jonathan Taylor did not get traded yesterday. I talked about last week how the Colts have set a deadline for him to, you know, to test the market, see if they can get a deal done with somebody. Obviously, we know how that holdout situation is when I've talked about that ad nauseum. But the deadline was yesterday at 4 p.m. Eastern. 4 p.m. Eastern came. Obviously, no deal was made. And there were rumors that the Dolphins were in the mix. Uh, Chris Greer, the Dolphins general manager, said, hey, we really weren't even close to a deal. I, I, I think there was a, the Colts wanted Jalen Waddle in a deal, which obviously the Dolphins were, were not going to do that. But Adam Schefter reported 
today that the Packers were in the running for Jonathan Taylor, saying that uh, this is what the article says by by Jonathan Taylor, uh, that the Packers were in talks with the Colts and had legitimate interest in trading for the star running back. The Packers emerging as a contender remains relevant because Taylor could still be traded, even though he is on the reserve slash physically unable to perform list and therefore must miss at least the first four games of the regular season. A source told ESPN there's still trade interest in Taylor, and the all-pro running back would welcome a trade to Green Bay. Now, Brian Gutekunst did a press conference today. Uh, he's the GM of the Packers, and he was asked about this whole situation. So he sort of avoided it, saying like, yeah, I'm not going to talk about players for other teams, which is smart because that would obviously be tampering. I don't know if the NFL has tampering laws similar to the NBA, but you know, n- never a, a bad idea to play it safe in that regard. You don't want to get fined. But he was talking about A.J. Dillon because we know Aaron Jones is the, is the clear starter you know, in terms of the running back position for the Packers. He was asked about A.J. Dillon. He said, quote, A.J.'s part of his team, and he was going to be regardless. Again, there's a lot of conversations. We are used, uh, we are used at times for leverage situations at times as well. But we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing if we're not investigating these things, at least listening to things. But, yeah, I think it's the nature of the world now. There are all, all kinds of things out there. Some are true, some aren't. Again, kind of a word salad kind of dodging the question, uh, saying uh, AJ's part of the future, but hey, we may look to get better. So sort of talking out of both sides of his mouth, but that's, again, that's to be expected when you're in trade talks with the team. You're not going to, you're not going to show your, your hand. You're not. This to me has nothing to do with whether Jonathan Taylor ends up on the Green Bay Packers, whether he ends up there to me, at least is relevant because it doesn't put them any closer to winning a Super Bowl, which is, I don't think that's the expectations for Green Bay anyway. Tells me everything I need to know about Jordan Love. So I've been skeptical about Jordan Love from the beginning. And I have I have been beating this drum for so long that this whole thing about, hey, Jordan Love is, is redoing the Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat for three years behind Brett Favre, became the starter after Brett Favre left and went to actually retire, then went to the Jets. And he's obviously won four MVPs, won a Super Bowl, has had a highly successful NFL career. It's a big reason why the Jets think that if if they get prime Aaron Rodgers, even a semblance of that, they could be Super Bowl contenders. Here's the issue with that. If you remember, which this was a long time ago, but if you go back and read articles about what Packers beat reporters were saying about Aaron Rodgers in practice, they're like, holy smokes, this kid is going to be good. We are good. When Favre retires or leaves, we are in good hands. Notice this with Jordan Love. He's got to be the best, best kept secret in the NFL. We don't know what he is. Now, we've seen flashes in the preseason. He's looked good. But he has not been pressured. I think the stat remains the same. Was not pressured one time in the preseason. Not once. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact the Packers have a great O-line, and there's going to be a lot of games this year, 17 of them. Maybe not all of them, but the majority of the 17 games. If that O-line's healthy, Jordan Love's going to have a lot of time to throw to, to, to some solid, not great, but solid wide receiver targets. And obviously, they have the good running game there. But why do we not hear about Jordan Love? They tried to keep him out of the public eye as much as possible. By Aaron's second year in 06 in the NFL, it was like, oh, Green Bay. Oh, Green Bay is going to be good moving forward. Not the case with Jordan Love. Kept it under wraps. You said, well, yeah, Aaron Rodgers was winning MVPs. But you know who's going to win to last forever? He was getting to 36 and 37, 38. He's getting older and older. And they, we barely saw Jordan Love. And so the fact that they already had an excellent running game, an elite offensive line, 
and they felt they needed to add to it? That's what I'm confused about, is that that aspect of their team is good. Aaron Jones is a borderline Pro Bowl level, Pro Bowl level running back. A.J. Dillon is one of the better, you know, kind of bruiser running backs in the NFL. It's sort of like a thunder-lightning type of, t- of tandem, but very similar to kind of Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara a few years ago with the New Orleans Saints, similar to that duo. Why did they feel they needed to add a guy who's, oh, I don't know, maybe the third best running back in football at worst in his, at his absolute peak? Because they're saying the more the ball is out of Jordan Love's hands, the better shot we have to win football games and to maybe get into the playoffs. Whether or not Green Bay will get there or not, only time will tell. I'm skeptical. Matter of fact, very skeptical about whether or not they'll do that. But it's within the realm of possibility. I wouldn't be just stunned if Green Bay gets in. But to me, what matters is the fact that we're in year four. Quarterbacks, because of rule changes, because of some of the new offensive systems being implemented in the NFL, have never been more ready, never been more developed to go and be ready to play day one in the National Football League. And we're in year four for Jordan Love. And we still have no clue. We should know if you look at the Packers' schedule. Now, early early part of their schedule isn't just uh, you know insane, but it's the middle part. Look at I should have had the graphic for this, but Green the middle Green Bay schedule. So they start with two road games against Chicago and Atlanta. I, I think they're probably going to split those two. And they got Saints in there. Saints might win their division. Lions are very good. They're not beating Detroit. They got some Raiders. And then here's what they got at Broncos. I don't know how good the Broncos going to be this season. Here's what I do know: that's a hard team to beat in the Mile High City with that altitude. Home game against the Vikings, who have a it's not even deniable a better roster. And a better coach, frankly. Rams at home, not a great Rams roster. I'll get into the Rams of a second segment, but that's still Sean McVay. At Pittsburgh, they're not winning that game. Not against that defense. Chargers, playing Justin Herbert. Eh. At Detroit, yeah, they, they scored nine points with Aaron Rodgers at Detroit last year when Detroit had a terrible defense midseason. Kansas City at home. Yeah, they're not beating Kansas. They're not beating Mahomes. And then on the road against the New York Giants, who were a playoff team last year, and I think very well could get in again this season. That middle part of Green Bay schedule, that is where we'll find out who Jordan Love really is. This is a do-or-die, make-or-break year for Jordan Love. This isn't a situation where it's a rookie quarterback coming in, even if it was a good culture and a good system. You want to slowly develop him. No, no, no. He's been sitting the bench for three years. He's been practicing for three years. We know nothing about him. Green Bay media has kind of kept it under under wraps, which I understand. They're trying to, it, it, you know, Green Bay, that's all that town's got. They're trying to keep the brand and the, the, the stock of the Packers as high as possible. I respect that, and I get that. But the Packers haven't told us who Jordan Love is. The Green Bay media hasn't told us who Jordan Love is. And it's a lot of, notice when you hear Packers players talk about Jordan Love, it's a lot of like. It's a lot of, you know, good leader. He's, he's you're around the team. Like, which, by the way, very important things. Intangibles are very important to me. But it's not a whole lot of, well, wait till you see this kid. We heard that with Patrick Mahomes immediately when he stepped in the NFL. That was even when he backed up Alex Smith for his rookie year before he obviously became the starter in year two. We were already hearing about Kansas City practice like, oh, you, 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 y'all just wait until this guy becomes, becomes a starter. Green Bay, yeah, he's, he's good. Like, we're, we're ready and... A lot of sources in Green Bay that aren't, you know, don't report for the Packers necessarily, aren't B writers for the Packers. 
they're like, he's and he's fine. He's not going to blow your socks off. Maybe Green Bay doesn't need him to blow our socks off because they did almost make the playoffs a year ago with Aaron Rodgers failing to have even one game of throwing over 300 yards. Aaron had a pretty subpar year last year. If Love plays to that level, maybe they could be on the brink of a playoffs again, again, considering the fact that the NFC is the significantly weaker conference. Maybe. But I have my doubts. I think in order with a roster that is good, like it's not, it's not bad, but it's not like the Rams. It's not like the, the Colts. It's an okay roster. I think if you if if you if listen, the expectation Green Bay is Super Bowls. It did, the freaking trophy is named after their Hall of Fame head coach. Obviously, they got Lombardi way when they when the, whenever the Packers win the Super Bowl, they say Lombardi's coming home. That's the expect. Green Bay is one of those franchises like Pittsburgh, like New England was with twenty for twenty years with Tom Brady. Like the, it's probably unrealistic most of those years, but the Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers, like these franchises have championship or bust expectations almost every season. Now, those expectations aren't realistic for Green Bay in 2023, but the Packers' hope is that Jordan Love is is the guy to take the mantle from Aaron Rodgers and not be the transitional guy, but to be the guy moving forward. The fact that they were in the mix for Jonathan Taylor kind of tells me all I need to know. I'm willing to keep it on my mind, as I say on this show often. I can have an opinion about something, anything. But when presented with new information, I have to change my opinion. That's the name of the game. I just don't know. I, there have, we haven't seen a lot from Jordan Love on field. We haven't we barely seen anything or heard anything for practice. I think it's because the Packers know, okay, he's good, but let's try and keep this. Let's not raise the expectations too high. Very interesting strategy by the Packers. But yeah, I saw that news. I'm like, Green Bay has one of the best running back duos in football. What are they, what are they doing? I mean, two guys, they have two guys who can amount to the production that Jonathan Taylor gives by himself. And by the way, consider too the fact that Aaron Jones becomes a free agent two years from now. Jonathan Taylor becomes a free agent next year. So those, those, those two situations kind of intersect a bit. Maybe do you try and trade Aaron Jones, which I, I don't know who would take him. I don't know what his market would be, given the fact that he's an aging running back, You know, it, which it's crazy to say, but 28 is kind of an aging running back in the NFL today because the shelf life is so you know so short. But I, 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 don't, I don't love this at all for uh, – I do not love this for the, for the Green Bay Packers. That, that, that's, that's odd, very odd. I'll tell you what's also odd in the sense of I think people are overreacting to this to this just a little bit. So Kelly Stafford, who's Matthew Stafford's wife, obviously Super Bowl champion quarterback with the LA Rams. She was talking on her podcast called The Morning After with Kelly Stafford. And she was talking about how her husband is having a hard time connecting with younger teammates. Here's her quote. It's kind of crazy. So Matthew's been in the league a long time. He's like, the difference in the locker room has changed so significantly. They have a lot of rookies on their team. They're very young. But he's like, I feel like I can't connect. In the old days, you'd come out to practice, you'd shower, and people would be playing cards, interacting. Who knows what they're doing, but they're doing something together. Playing ping pong. They have a tournament going on. They'd at least be talking. But now they get out of practice and meetings during training camp, and they go straight to their phones. No one looks up from their phones. Matthew's like... I don't know. Am I the dad? Do I take their phones? What do I do here? He's like, 
I don't want them to, I want them to see me not as a coach. Uh, and then she said, quote, uh, they say, sir, to him and blank. He's like, no, we're on the same level here. We're both playing in the league. Let me get to know you. He said, it's so different and so hard to get to, it's so different, so hard to get to know these guys. He had a book printed out. He had the equipment guy get a book printed of all their faces and all their names. Cause he's like, I need to know their names. We need to talk. So I'm going to find their names and I'm going to say, Hey, so-and-so how was your weekend? So they get to know, so they know I know them, and maybe we should get to know each other so there's a chemistry on the field. But nowadays, it's really hard to develop that because all these kids, they don't care. Or it's not that they don't care, but they're so used to going straight to their phones instead of having some fun with the guys in the locker room. It's different. It's kind of sad. End quote. So uh, before I get into defending Matthew Stafford, I'll defend Matthew Stafford in this regard. And and, and I, I got to listen. Obviously, I'm 20 years old, not married, don't have kids, obviously. But I got to admit, like if let's just say that as a family member, forget even as a spouse. Something that, again, when it comes to leadership, I put I, I put a very high expectation on that in regards to quarterbacks. I think in order to be almost overwhelmingly the truly great transcend, transcendent quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, and even today, all of them are great leaders. I should say most of them are outstanding leaders, the, the heartbeat of their football teams. Certainly the ones that won Super Bowls. <sighs> Leadership's something you got to be careful of when you speak about it. If I'm Matt Stafford, I don't love, I'm already, and again, I, I, I assume she's, I'll take her word for it, she's his wife. I don't love something that I'm already apparently struggling with, connecting with my teammates. That's hard enough. It doesn't help when it's made public. So if I'm Matt Stafford, I'm like, uh, uh, honey, I, I don't want that. I don't want that out of there. You can do your podcast, do whatever, do talk about whatever you want to talk about. Please don't talk about how I'm struggling with my teammates, connecting my teammates to the locker room, and and like don't don't go there. This doesn't help me in any way, shape, or form. So that out the way, I kind of get where Matt's coming from, or at least I empathize where he's coming from. You got to realize the Rams are one of the five youngest teams. In the NFL, they, they, it's, it's unbelievable. When you look up and down their depth chart, of course, you see your Staffords, you see your Cups, you see your Aaron Donalds. Those are kind of the three faces of the team, right? After that, it's like, who, who, who's that? Who, who's that? Like, I know, okay, I know Van Jefferson. I, I, know, I know who Tutu Atwell is. I've barely seen him play. Who's that offensive line? The the right guard? Who, who's that? And the, the, the corner and the linebacker? Who, who are these people? It's a very young football team. They've gone through, you know, they they went through that process where they said, you know what? We're going to go all in, win a Super Bowl, trade all our picks. We're going to get Jalen Ramsey. We're going to go get Von Miller. Going to go go get Odell Beckham Jr. We're going to go all in on winning this year's Super Bowl. And props to them, they won it. They came away with the trophy, which at the end of the day, that's all that matters in the National Football League. If you don't get the trophy, then what's what's the point of even playing the game? Or at least what, what, what's the point of, uh, you know, celebrating a great season? And they did that. The problem is now they're dealing with the after effects of it. Whether it be bad contracts, whether it be now you don't have draft picks. Now when your good players get old, you can't replace them. I think next year is going to be the very first year in eight years 
that the Rams have a first-round draft pick. I think next year's going to be the very first year. So 2016, Jared Goff was the, was the first pick in the draft by the new Los Angeles Rams. They haven't had a first-round pick since. So they're kind of dealing with the after-effects of that. But they, Stan Kroenke and Les Snead, Sean McVay could say, you know what, who cares? We, we got the trophy and nobody else did. Like, that's all that matters. And that's kind of what the Jets are doing to a certain degree. Not at, as extreme, or at least to this point, but to a certain extent. Speaking as a, I don't want to, I don't want to bash my generation, but speaking as a Gen Zer, yeah, Kelly Stafford is 100% correct. And I can imagine why Matthew Stafford would have trouble connecting with his teammates. I could be guilty of this myself. I don't know what I don't know if it's going to cause neck problems down the road <laughs> for me and my and, and and those that are around my age. We are looking at our phones all the time. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like if if when I'm walking down the street at you know where or not the street when I'm walking around campus where I go to school where I go to college, and again I can be guilty of this as well. It is remarkable. The number of people I walk by, it's like, God, are they even looking where they're going? Like this, like there's cars around this area. That's kind of how it is this generation. Not saying it's necessarily a, a, a bad thing or a good thing, but I mean, listen, I, I think there are some bad, you know, qualities of it. But listen, it's, it's we're in a very distracted world. There's a lot of things going on, on social media, and we got there's phones can do more than they've ever been able to do in the history of their since they've ever been invented. So I understand that aspect of it, and you want to try and remain connected as much as you can, as much as you possibly can, if you have that option, which now we do. But I was seeing this about Matthew Stafford. I'm like, man, I, I kind of get where he's coming from, especially the fact that you got to realize that Rams team in 2021 had a lot of veterans. Stafford's a vet. Cup's a vet. Donald's a vet. You know, Sean McVay's he's young, but he's a veteran coach in the NFL. Von Miller's a vet. Odell Beckham Jr.'s a vet. Andrew Whitworth was a vet. Like a lot of guys, Leonard Floyd, a lot of guys in that football team, Jalen Ramsey, a lot of guys been there and done that. Maybe haven't necessarily had championship experience. Von Miller did. But guys who have been around the block in the NFL, they know how the game works, guys who Stafford could kind of relate to. And so when that's in 18 months gone, I understand that that's some kind of adjustment. But I also thought about in the sense of two, where you have you know Matt Stafford, and again, I, I don't necessarily blame him for this because of the generational gap. He's struggling to connect with younger teammates. To me, this is where we didn't give Tom Brady enough attention, enough love, and enough praise. You got to realize Tom Brady was 45 years old last season. He, it's crazy to think Tom played, let me make sure I'm getting this right, six seasons in his 40s. You know how many 20 and 21, 22-year-olds come in the NFL? You know, new, bushy-tailed, and I'm sure they too. In reference to what Kelly Stafford said, I'm sure they too, when practice was over, would go to the locker rooms, look down at their phones, see what was up. And Tom still found a way to connect to those guys. This, to me, this story, the way I viewed it at least, was not this crazy indictment of Matthew Stafford, but rather a, dang, Tom was better leader than we thought. It's one thing to be an older quarterback throughout NFL history and connect to younger teammates. I mean, folks, Tom could have been these, some of the, the guys on his team, Tom could have been their dad 
there was so much of A's gap. I remember when they played the Jets a couple of years ago, it was like, yeah, Tom Brady is, is over double Zach Wilson's age. And he's still somehow, some way, we, we hear the old story all the time. You have a rookie coming to the New England Patriots. And I'm sure this happened in Tampa Bay as well. They come in and it's like, oh my God, it's the New England Patriots. They've, or, you know, Tampa Bay. And Tom goes up to him, sticks out his hand. Hi, I'm Tom Brady. And it sounds cheesy. It sounds corny. I'd imagine if you're a young player, you're like, what did he say? <laughs> he introduced himself as this. I don't know who this man is and what he represents, what he's accomplished. But he still, he went out of his way to make it a point. By the way, I think Matthew Stafford, again, if Kelly's telling the truth, and I don't doubt that she is, according to her, Matt Stafford's gotten a book to recognize their faces. Because listen, I understand, you know, when you got a lot of new players of a team, you want to recognize them, learn their names, you want to connect with them as the leader of this football team. The fact that Matt is making this effort is great. It is commendable. But it is kind of the reality of when you've been in this league long enough, this is Matthew Stafford's 15th year. We know he's dealt with injuries and things of that nature it becomes a little bit more difficult. So I'm seeing a lot of, of, of people kind of, you know, go at him and, and say like, hey, you know, he's he's got to be, be a better leader for the Rams. Well, leadership evidently wasn't the Rams' problem in 2021. I think the difference was we had a lot of veterans on the team, a lot of guys Matt could connect to. I mean, think about it. I, I If you have been in a business long enough and maybe you stay, you stay with them for, for a decade, decade and a half, in this case, Stafford's been in the NFL a decade and a half, and some of your friends retire or your friends go to different companies or they move away from the state. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'm like the last one remaining from whatever year. There's some of the, the new generations coming in and I've got to find a way to connect. And sometimes there can be a little bit of a barrier there. And so I understand what Matt Stafford's talking about here. And I, I, I can get why that would be, that'd be frustrating. So I, 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 I get that. But I saw this, this story. I'm like, I, I don't think we should be just crapping on Matthew Stafford. If it was a situation of, let's say this didn't come from, from his wife's podcast. Let's say somebody reported like a reputable source said, Hey, Matthew is struggling to connect with teammates, but he's yelling at him. He's cussing them out. He's, he's like, get out of here. And you know, kind of like Tom kind of did that at the end in Tampa and it wasn't received very well. Aaron Rodgers did that at times in green Bay. It wasn't received well. That'd be a different story. And maybe he is yelling at him. It doesn't appear that way, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to defend Matt here. I, I get where he's coming from. I shouldn't say I get where he's coming from. I'm not, I've never been in the position of that, but I can understand why that would be incredibly frustrating. By the way, before we get into our next topic, feel free to chime in the comment section. Share the show. Subscribe. Trying to get to 200 subscribers before the NFL season starts. That's a week from tomorrow. So if you have, haven't subscribed to Carving It Up, we're trying to get to 200 uh, before the start of the NFL season. And so... Hit that subscribe button, get to 200, and we could hopefully build it up from there. But last night, we had episode four of the 8 o'clock spot. Here's the logo right here for those watching on YouTube and on Twitter. And it was a great, great game back and forth. It's the best sports game show in all of sports content creation, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I've been able to have the privilege of being the moderator of the show. If you haven't watched it yet, please do. We have a great time full of laughs, full of great sports takes. So last night, the panels were Barry Grant Jr. of the All Even Podcast. We had uh, Adam Bessie from the Cowboys Cam Fan Podcast. He was great. And Dalton Brown, from who's, who's our new, you know, one of our new contributors to the Grid Network, is, is kind of a gambling expert. 
And Dalton won the show last night, gave some great takes. The last take at the end between him and Barry in the final round was debating about the whole Noah Lyles thing. If you haven't seen Noah Lyles, the the star um, track athlete, a star American track athlete, was talking about how it bothered him so much. This is after he won three gold medals, by the way. And it bothered him so much that if you win an NBA championship, you win the NBA finals, they call themselves world champions. And he said, he said, you know what bothers me about that? And he's, it's, he's going on this, this spiel. It's like, dog, you just, you just won multiple gold medals. And this is, this is, <laughs> this is the first thing on your mind. Like, it feels like this has been like a harbored resentment toward the NBA for like your whole life. And your uh, the, the biggest moment of your life, you're using it to just take shots at, at the league. That was very odd to me. And by the way, I vehemently disagree with him because Listen, the NBA has the best players in the world more now than it ever has. The best player in the world is international, Nikola Jokic. I think Steph's number two, personally. The third best player in the world is Giannis. He's from Greece. I mean, what, what is this? So Embiid won the MVP this year. The last five NBA MVPs, none of them are American. So the best talent in the world comes here to the United States, to the NBA, because it's the best basketball league in the world. So yes, you can call yourself a world champion. NFL, you could have that as, as I mean, listen, there's some guys in the NFL. There's this you know new punter from Australia who this, who's with the Saints now. Really cool story. But overwhelmingly, I'd say the league is probably 95, 96% American players. And so world champion NFL maybe hits different, but baseball, yeah, you're a world champion. It's the best baseball players in the world. You know, Shohei Otani is, is from, from Japan. He's by far the best player in all of baseball. We have some other great, you know, Ronald Acuna is in the MVP race in the National League. I mean, it's, it's I think Mookie's going to win it. But, but, you know, that said, I, I think the whole debate, oh, is it a world champion? Don Wright's a world champion. NFL, maybe not, because it, it's the only, and the NFL's trying to push American football. That's the thing. We call it American football. Uh, overseas, we got games in Germany. We've all, we've had games in England for a long time in Mexico. So NFL is trying to you know really push the NFL global, but for the time being, it, it is a is an American dominant league. And I don't know. I it's I, I just I don't know why it bothered him that bad. But point is, that's what Dalton and Barry were debating about. I thought Dalton got the upper hand, threw in a little humor there, was able to win the show. So eight o'clock spot. If you haven't watched it yet. Tuesday nights at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time on the Grid Network's YouTube channel and Twitter page. And don't miss it. Especially once we get to the NFL season, we're have so much to talk about. It's going to be funny. Here's, here's, what, uh, here's what is a little bit funny. And I've got some bets with some friends of mine on this particular individual because I'm that confident that I'm... I think I've already been proven right in him, but maybe just to myself even more correct in this regard. And I'm not just tooting my horn saying I'm right about everything, but this one, I'm going to have to take the W here. I was right. Mac Jones. So, the New England Patriots continue to make quarterback decisions that frankly do not make an ounce of sense. Then again, most of Belichick's moves as the de facto GM of the Patriots haven't made a whole lot of sense. It helped for 20 years having the, I don't know, the greatest player in the history of American team sports for 20 years. That Helps, matters. Yesterday, the Patriots, Mac Jones is the starter. They cut Bailey Zappi, QB2, and they cut Malik Cunningham. By the way, I've seen some Malik Cunningham in the preseason. 
I don't know if he's going to be like a franchise quarterback. I, I like him. I'm just going to put that out there. I like him. If nothing else is a backup, but I think the kid's really talented. Very athletic, very elusive. He cuts both of them, and then today he signs with the practice squad. So as we sit here today, if the New England Patriots play tomorrow, Mac Jones is the only quarterback he would dress. Now, you assume the Patriots are going to, whether they promote Zappy from the practice squad, whether they go out, I know there's been some reports out of Boston saying they might trade for Case Keenum from the Houston Texans. Maybe that make a little bit of sense uh, as, as, as the typical, as a you know, perfect backup for Mac Jones. But this whole, this whole debate about is Mac the guy in New England? All the problem was, was, uh, Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, masquerading as an offensive coordinator, calling plays for New England. And, and Matt Jones was just done dirty last year. Well, if you check the numbers from his last four games of his rookie season, when Josh McDaniels was there, a true offensive coordinator, they were, they were pretty pretty bad, too, outside of a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who had the worst record of football that year. But this is we, – we, we hold – quarterbacks to a certain standard, especially first-round quarterbacks. I mean, this is a big year for Justin Fields. This is, I think, a make-or-break year. Okay, Justin, we've improved the offensive line. Justin, we've given you some good skill position players. I don't care if we, I shouldn't say I don't care, but if we go 7-10, and 10, but we're losing Big 12-style shootouts and you're playing great and your numbers are off the chain and you've really improved as a pocket passer and overall thrower of the football, well, yeah, then we could build around you. We just need to improve the defense because I think Chicago's defense is terrible. If he doesn't, if he's not great, if we don't see a clear improvement from a year ago, maybe that becomes a problem for Justin Fields. We need to hold Mac Jones to the exact same standard, and Mac Jones has not shown even close to the potential that Justin Fields has shown. The Patriots made the playoffs his rookie year because he was in the game manager role. They didn't trust him to throw the ball down the field. In the last four games of the season, including the playoffs, he was truly horrible. And they go into last season. Matt Patricia is the defensive coordinator. We understand that. And I remember doing a segment around this time last year when there were all the reports about, oh, man, the Patriots, the offense looks really bad at practice. Matt looks bad. It's been a disaster. I said, you know what, guys? I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to give Matt Jones a pass this year. I'm not going to be brutal on him. If he plays bad, I'll, I'll criticize him. I, I, I got to call it like I see it, but I'm not going to be all over the kid. That is until he got hurt. And a guy who I want to put this on, I want I want this on for the record. I do not think Bailey Zappi is anything close to a franchise quarterback. I don't. I don't even think he's a starting quarterback as we sit here today. He is a clear backup. I think he's a, a okay backup. I think he's a QB too. I think he's a third string on some rosters, but he's a good, solid backup. And Bailey Zappi, a fourth round rookie, steps in for a couple games and compared. I, I've showed this graphic numerous times, but I'll show it again. Max two best games last year were against the Minnesota Vikings on Thanksgiving and against the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 16. Here's Mac Jones' averages from those two games. They're pretty good numbers. 311 yards per game, four touchdowns, no interceptions, had a pass rating of 112, very good, and his team scored about 22 points per game, which isn't great, but it's respectable. Bailey Zappi's two starts, I mean, best, you can't call him his best two starts, there's only two starts. Not that big of a difference. Now, yards per game is a pretty... Big gap, 311 to 248. That's one thing. 
But Mac threw four touchdowns. Bailey threw three. Again, fourth-round rookie here compared to a first-round pick in 2021. One interception to Max zero. So Mac has the advantage there. 109 pass rating to Max 112. Again, Mac has the edge, but uh, not by much. Average points per game by the team goes up significantly. Mac at 22, Zappy at 33 and a half. Zappy is not the answer for the New England Patriots. But can we come to the conclusion that neither is Mac Jones? In an AFC. That, that probably has, let's see, I'm thinking about my top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Seven of them come from the AFC. Some, some have argued eight. That's why a lot of NFL schedule makers will be praying that Caleb Williams, that, that, that the Cardinals and the Bucks, because I think those two teams are going to be awful this year, more on the Bucks later with my NFC South strengths and weaknesses, that those teams are terrible this year and that Caleb Williams goes to one team, Drake Bank May goes to the next, and they both end up being superstar quarterbacks in the NFL. The NFL, those schedule makers are praying that's the case. Because, like, man, we need some balance. Like, we got some amazing quarterbacks, the AFC. And then we got Jalen Hurts, who's, you know, MVP finals last year, but hasn't had the, the you know, the accomplishments, the, the lengthy career that a guy like even Mahomes has had. Dak, who's had a longer career than Hurts, but has never won a Super Bowl, not, never even gotten to a conference title game. And then who's third after that? Is it Derek Carr? I like Derek Carr. I really do. Never won a playoff game. In fourth, it's probably Jared Goff. Got to a Super Bowl, but I don't think he's on the level of a Hurts or even a Dak. And they got Kirk Cousins. That's your top five quarterbacks in the NFC. In the AFC, it's in this order, in my, in my view. Mahomes, Burrow, Lawrence, Allen, Lamar. Those are the top five quarterbacks in the AFC. The difference, the gap between the two is the Grand Canyon. In that division, in that conference, the Patriots cannot get to another Super Bowl. Can't get to the playoffs. It's currently constructed with Mac Jones as their quarterback. They can't. The second they ask him to play outside of the offense, to make plays himself, to, to, to lead the team when things aren't going well, he crumbles. How many times last year, and this wasn't just, folks could say, well, this is just because he, he got frustrated because he's got a defensive coordinator calling plays for him. It's a disaster, and Belichick did him wrong. I agree Belichick did him wrong. I mean, it's, it was, I talked about it last year. It was crazy to have a defensive coordinator call your plays. And so maybe Mac was frustrated. No, 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 no. You ask Alabama reporters, and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, he was this way at Alabama, too, with Nick Saban with all those great skill position players, with a great offensive line, with a great defense. He was still a hothead. He'd still cuss people out if something didn't go his way. Numerous times last year, dog cussing Belichick, going after Patricia, yelling at teammates. It's like, dude, you're playing bad. This isn't just a teammate problem. You're playing bad, Mac. So when we go into this season... I don't know why we're not hearing enough of, is this a proving year for Mac Jones? From the folks that supposedly think he's the second coming of, of, of Tom Brady. Maybe that's a bit too strong, but I've heard some comparing to Goff. Because they say, hey, Goff, he's not great moving outside of the pocket. Goff is a better arm. Goff's more accurate. Goff's a better leader. Goff has a better history in the playoffs. I mean, Goff got Detroit to the brink of the playoffs. Detroit, who we laugh as a franchise, but New England, we revere... 
Now, I have argued in the past we shouldn't revere New England near as much as we do. We should revere Brady because he, to me, he deserves 90% of the credit for the success that happened there. Belichick, 10. Belichick's history without Tom Brady would tell you just that, but that's another conversation for another show. But the, the, this mismanagement of quarterbacks is mind-boggling in New England. Again, today, they don't have a backup. It might be Case Keenum if they make that deal. might be somebody else. But the fact that we just continued, the NFL is moving more and more and more towards quarterbacks. That's why the running back position has been rendered almost irrelevant. It is a quarter. I've been saying this for two years in the show. It is a quarterbacks league. The rules favor the quarterbacks. The offenses favor the quarterbacks. Darn sure the money favors the quarterbacks. And Belichick continues to be completely stuck in the past. And rolling with Mac Jones and hoping that that gets you the playoffs. Newsflash. It's not, and frankly, it can't. You cannot make the playoffs in that AFC with Mac Jones as your quarterback. It is impossible. I, I just listen. I'm not a Patriots fan. Never have been. Never rooted for him when I, I loved Brady. I just never rooted for him when he was there. So that's why it was nice to root for him in Tampa. But I, I don't like seeing. I, I, I don't like seeing people who are stuck in the past and are unable to change with the times in a way that will actually work to their benefit. Yes, you do need, I think you, you don't need a, an awesome defense. You need a very productive defense to win a Super Bowl. Sure, name me the last team that won a Super Bowl that had a horrible defense. I, I can't think of one. Your defense does need to be good, and New England's is. Your offensive line does need to be good. New England's is solid. But your weapon's got to be better. Uh, if Juju's your number one, with all due respect, you say, well, he's number one in Kansas City. Yeah, he had Mahomes, Reed, and Travis Kelsey was the true number one target for the Chiefs. Let's be honest. That receiving core, that running, I mean, they brought in Zeke. Listen, Zeke's a, a great dude, great leader. I think the Cowboys are going to miss that second. He's a great pass blocker, by the way. I think the Cowboys are actually going to miss Zeke's leadership to a certain extent in the locker room. Not, not to a you know large degree, but to, to, to a certain degree. He's a, he's three yards in a cloud of dust type of guy. Like that was New England's big acquisition. Hey, we got Juju Smith-Schuster, who's a clear number two receiver. And we got Ezekiel Elliott, who's a clear number two running back, which I guess he is with Ramondre Stevenson. All that'd be fine and good if you had a competent quarterback. If you had a start, if you had Tua. I've not been, I've never been that high on Tua, at least in the last couple of years. But he, kid's a good player. He's a good. He's, he's accurate. He moves pretty well. His issue's been consistency and staying healthy. That's the problem. Put him in New England. I probably wouldn't pick him to make the playoffs, but they'd be closer. So it's I I, I don't get it for the life of me. I really don't. Whew! Had to get my soapbox there. All right, John Rivera. Bears are the sleeper team this year. John Rivera in the comments. Bear, a fan perspective podcast, by the way. Check him and Henny Dre show out. He says, Bears are the sleeper team this year. They might. Again, the Bears are trying to calm down here. Just stop. Whew. But anyways, in the NFC, when I'm looking at potential playoff teams, the Bears are, in my view, one of those teams. are kind of like on the fringe. I don't know what to do with them. Again, I've said, I think the locks to make the playoffs, the NFC, and I'll do my predictions next Monday on Labor Day. So, the whole NFL season predictions, NFL preview show. Ryan Flowers of Clutch Sports Talk is going to join, so tune in for that. But I'm working on my NFC predictions right now. The Bears are one of those teams kind of in there, like with Seattle, with I think the Giants. It's like a Minnesota too. Like what do I do with these teams? 
because there's reasons you can convince me that they'll make the playoffs. And there's reasons you'll convince me, yeah, they're probably not ready yet. Or they don't have enough pieces. Or there's certain individuals that maybe I don't trust to get them to the playoffs. But the Bears are in that discussion. I agree. They got better in the offseason. I don't think that's debate. It's hard to get much worse than than three and three and fourteen, unless you win no games or one or two games, I guess. Parnell's in the comments. What's up, Parnell? Member of the grid. Thoughts on Ben Simmons open to a return to Philly. Listen, I, I, I'll put it this way, and I thought Stephen A. put it perfectly on first take this morning, and I agree with him. Ben Simmons is not an NBA roster today if he's if he isn't under contract. If he doesn't have that albatross of a contract, he's not in a roster today. Which I've been as critical. Listen, I've been brutal on Ben Simmons for two years. There's an aspect of it that is kind of sad. He's one of the more talented number one picks that we've seen in the last decade. Him and Joel Embiid, they didn't get to a conference finals, and that, that's something I've knocked Embiid about over because even without Simmons, he still can't get to a conference finals. But they were a solid duo. Did they fit the greatest together? Probably not because they're Simmons is a big guard. Joel Embiid is a big, and so there's some clogging up the lane a little bit. Embiid has been better. Some of that's just him getting older and moving into his prime, but he's been better without Simmons. But Simmons was the the like classic NBA prospect who was, and still to a certain degree is, good at everything. He's a great passer, has an excellent basketball IQ, great rebounder because of his length and size. I mean, great defender, great defender. He just can't shoot. And some of it's not only the fact that he can't shoot, it's that he won't shoot. I mean, Draymond Green's talked about this in the past about, remember there was a point in time Draymond was a 40% three-point shooter. Like, he was a legit threat to, to knock, knock it down uh, from deep. And he said when Kevin Durant joined, that meant less shots for Draymond, so he wouldn't take him as much. And so it kind of started to hurt his confidence a little bit. And Draymond said he's still trying to work on getting his confidence back to where it was around 2016. I don't know if Simmons ever had that to begin with. I think that the sort of the turning point moment was when he had the open layup against Trey Young and he passed it to Matisse Thibel. And that's, we haven't, Simmons has never really, really been the same ever since. And so, yeah, hey, listen, Philly's not bringing him in. The, the, <laughs> they're not bringing him back. They're not. I mean, I don't see why Brooklyn would want James Harden back. That would just be a, a confusing trail all the way around. Parnell also says, also, that's on Belichick. He's proven that he's not the same coach without Brady. If I can get the graphic... Hold on, if I can get the, the, the Belichick graphic, uh, you know, his his coaching career without without Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. If we have it here. Let's see. Is that it? Nope, that's not it. Hang on, hang on. I'm trying to get it in because it is, and because I've done this comparison between Belichick and Andy Reid and about how I don't think Reid's the greatest coach ever, but I also don't think Belichick's the greatest coach ever. Uh, I think To me, it's Bill Walsh because Bill Walsh literally changed how offense is played in the NFL. The West Coast is still used to this day. Uh, so, oh, that's not, that's not the graphic either. Crap. Hang on, folks. I want, I want to drive this point home because Parnell makes a great point that, you know, Belichick is not the same without Brady. I remember Asante Samuel just a couple years ago, before we've gotten even more data and evidence that Belichick isn't the same without Brady, that Asante Samuel was saying, yeah, Belichick is just another coach. He's not bad. He's not, like, incompetent. We're not going to question the man's football IQ. I, I, I've said Belichick, to me, is the best defensive coach ever. Not necessarily defensive head coach, but the best defensive coach ever. I mean, you look at what he did as a DC with the New York Giants back in the 90s against uh, Buffalo in the Super Bowl. I think his playbook is in the Hall of Fame for what he did to that offense. 
Uh, was it what was they called the K gun in Buffalo with Jim Kelly? So yeah, that's he's a great defensive coach. But here's his resume without Tom Brady: ten seasons, he's nine games under five hundred. He's won forty-two, sorry, forty-seven percent of his games without the goat. He's made two playoff appearances and a zero NFC. I'm sorry, AFC title game appearances. Andy Reid has something like five. It's three three to five without Patrick Mahomes. Title game, a, NFC title game appearances. So we gotta be honest. We gotta be objective. And this is a this is two way street. You know, two things can be true. Belichick as a as a roster constructor is terrible. It's part of the reason Tom left at the end. We all thought I should, I should say we all. I never thought this. Never check check the shows from back in 2019. I never thought this. But a lot of folks were thinking, oh, it's because Brady's old. Belichick's still. I said, no, 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 no. Uh, check who Tom's throwing to. And this was always the case where it was, aside from the Randy Moss years, but, and I listen, I love Julian Edelman. I, his story is is inspiring. And there's a reason we're having a discussion about him potentially being the Hall of Fame. Tom turned that man into a Super Bowl MVP. Tom turned that man into arguably the greatest slot receiver that has ever played the game. Folks, Edelman never made a Pro Bowl. Never made a Pro Bowl. We're like, hey, Edelman's got to be in the Hall of Fame, right? Maybe. I wouldn't vote him in, but maybe. That's that's Tom Brady for you. Check Tom, Tom Brady. You could just do a quick Google search on Tom Brady's receiving core in the 2019 season. It's bad. It's really bad. And the second thing that can be true is that Mac Jones is, as I said, and again, doing NFC South strengths and weaknesses at the end of the show. When I did that segment for the AFC East at the very beginning a couple of weeks back, I said that their Patriots' biggest weakness is that if there was a quarterback whose name was limited, like whose actual government name was limited, they got him. New England's got him. He has a noodle arm. He can't move in and out of the pocket. He's got horrendous leadership skills. His decision-making is questionable. If he if the first read isn't there, he's he falls apart. Again, he's a backup. He's not, he's not like an – listen, I've, I've had discussions like, is Zach Wilson an NFL quarterback? Because there were times last year I'm like, I don't even know if he belongs in the league, especially given the receivers around him. I've, I don't think I've ever had that question about Mac, but I've said it since the day he stepped in the NFL, that's a backup quarterback. Whether or not the Patriots or anybody else is going to realize that you know, to, is to be determined, but he's back at quarterback in the NFL. Okay, so here's a guy who's definitely not a backup. He's definitely not a backup. Uh, Joe Burrow. That's It goes without saying. Yeah, Joe, Joe Burrow ain't backing up anybody unless he's on the Kansas City Chiefs. So we talked about this on the show a month ago when the injury happened. I remember showing the tape of the injury. It didn't look great. It was non-contact. Joe Burrow injured his calf at the start of training camp. He's rolling out to his right, and then all of a sudden he starts, you know, hopping around, not putting any weight on the calf. Like it's it's like legit bothering him. And we're thinking, oh boy, this is non-contact. This could be. And it comes out, it's a calf strain, it's a calf injury. Uh, of some sort, and uh, Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Bengals, says he's, he's going to miss several uh, several weeks. Joe Burrow's going to miss several weeks, and and they the you know, the media pressed him is what does several mean? And he says it means several. That's that's good job of Zach Taylor. Don't you know? They tell you as coaches like don't give the media more information than they they necessarily need. 
But Joe Burrow's back in practice today. Now, he wasn't practicing with an offensive line, with receivers against a defense, as far as these reports say. But Joe Burrow was with the other quarterbacks, with the other Bengals quarterbacks on the field, with pads on, ready to get fully suited up, at least as, as much as you can be in practice. Looked ready to go. Wasn't doing a whole lot of crazy movement. Again, this is August 30th. Uh, by the way, last carving it up show of August. And listen, the NFL season starts in 11 days for the Cincinnati Bengals when they play the Cleveland Browns. By the way, they haven't beaten Cleveland in Cleveland since 2017. That's like a low-key kind of underrated story going into that matchup. But listen, Burrow is... He, he, I talk about the Bengals since the Burrow injury and saying like the door's kind of open now for the Baltimore Ravens to win the division. You guys know I'm a Steelers fan. This pains me to say, but I think Baltimore probably has the best team in the division. Obviously, Cincinnati is the best quarterback in the division. That's with respect to a former MVP and Lamar Jackson. But if he were to miss, he being Burrow, were to miss four to five weeks, man, that could be a problem for Cincinnati. I remember yesterday I tweeted this. The Bengals released their number two quarterback in the roster and their number three on their roster. And the kind of pulled a New England Patriots where Joe Burrow is the only quarterback there. I'm thinking, what, what's this about? I said, this means one of two things. Either Burrow's going to be ready to go or they're, they're going to find a, a really good backup. Like in case Keenan was mentioned, or maybe, who knows, maybe they come into the Detroit Lions with a, a solid trade package for, for Teddy Bridgewater. Who knows? I mean, we all know Hinton Hooker's going to be the future in Detroit. I mean, that's, that's you know, that goes without saying. But you could bring in Teddy Bridgewater there. Cincinnati, remember, he he, stood, he was in place for Drew Brees for five games when he, Brees got hurt in 2019, and the Saints went 5-0. and So he's a capable backup. He's on that low-end starter, high-end backup thing, as I've said for a while. And whether or not Cincinnati was going to bring him in or or bring any low-end starter, high-end backup, or even just a backup in to, to, to fill in for Joe Burrow while he's out, you know, remain to be seen. But they brought in Will Greer from the Dallas Cowboys, who we know had that really good preseason start uh, the day after the Cowboys traded for Trey Lance. But it appears, listen, Burrow is in pads. He's, he's moving a, a little bit. Looks looks relatively healthy. I'm watching a video of him right now. He's not doing anything crazy, but he looks looks pretty healthy to me. So if he's healthy week one, man, that's huge for Cincinnati. Like that could be the difference in them being the two seed and hosting a playoff game or being a, and being a five or six seed and going to, you know, Baltimore, going to whoever's the three seed. That's big for him. No doubt about it. If he's right, at least that's, that's the thing. Remember last year, the appendectomy came back, didn't look the same. Remember, Bengals started 0-2, lost to Pittsburgh and Dallas, and they got their season back on track, and they nearly got to the Super Bowl again. So it's it's it's, it's well within the realm of possibility that the, that the Bengals can have a successful season, to, at least to start the year, if Joe Burrow's right. That's the question. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the... I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, movement in the NFL. Yesterday was cut day, which is one of the worst days in the NFL calendar because you got so many young men who's got these these big dreams of of, of making the NFL roster, making the fifty three man roster, and they they got to be told that they're they're cut, they're not going to make the roster. Although the good news is, to, at least I should say good news, I should say the silver lining to it is that because of the COVID year, and I'm pretty sure the NFL's kept this in place, the practice squads are big, m- bigger than they used to be. And so there's a lot more spots for these guys to at least be in the practice squad, to still be within the organization, you know, practicing against uh, some of the guys that are on the team. Like I saw Doug Peterson had to cut his son 
He had to cut his son. Now, the good news is for Doug Peterson's son, he he's on the practice squad in Jacksonville. But yeah, it's it's definitely a that and the day after the NFL season, regular season ends. I think they call it Black Monday because so many coaches lose their jobs that day. So those are some of the worst days in the NFL calendar, no question. Real quick, I saw this. Hold on, this is for it's a quote from Joe Montana, who I believe to be the second best quarterback ever, second greatest quarterback ever. And he was talking to TMZ Sports. He said, quote, Tom Brady is definitely, I shouldn't say this, is, this isn't a quote, but it's just a Joe Montana who previously said Tom Brady is definitely the best player in NFL history, now says former Dolphins quarterback Dan Marino is the most talented. Here's the quote from Montana. Quote, put Marino in today's game where he gets free release and his receivers, holy cow, weren't very big. I, I, this is somebody jealousy over losing the GOAT status to Brady years ago comes into play here. I, I don't think that is. I, I don't think it's jealous from Joe Montana. Listen, Joe Montana, they called him Joe Cool for a reason. They've used that now for Joe Burrow to describe him. Joe Montana was the original Joe Cool. Maybe you could say that about Namath, but I don't know. There was just a calmness to, to Montana that's reflected, you know, been reflected in a lot of great quarterbacks, Tom Brady chief among them. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's a knock on Brady. By, by the way, I think talent-wise, I think Marino is better than Brady. That's why, that's why you noticed when I said Montana as the second-best quarterback, and I corrected myself and said second-greatest. I've said this for a long time. Best and greatest are two different discussions to me. Because what factors to me into greatness is accomplishments, is moments. Like, what do we remember you for doing? Like, I say, in my view, the two iconic moments, at least for me, I never saw Joe Montana play, but from what I've seen, the two most iconic moments from Montana's career are a play in which the first play, I, I think he was throwing it out of bounds, and the late, great Dwight Clark made what was called the catch in the back of the end zone in the NFC title game against Dallas to really kickstart that 49ers dynasty at old Candlestick Park. By the way, Tom Brady was in attendance for that game, fun fact. He was a Bay Area kid. And the second moment was when he led that, Montana led that long drive against the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl and through the game-winning touchdown, I believe it was to John Taylor. And was it was that his last Super? Was his third or fourth Super Bowl? I think, but it was his game-winning drive for Montana to win that Super Bowl for San Francisco in the '80s over Boomer Sison and the Bengals. Boomer was the quarterback that year, right? I think he was. But again, that's greatness. I do agree. Like the, I've said, I think Marino is probably the third most talented quarterback ever. I think it's Mahomes one, Rodgers two, Marino three. Like, if you go go back and watch, like, Dan Marino was kind of revolutionary back in the day. Like, he was the first guy to consistently, year in and year out. We look at a guy throwing for 4,000 yards, it's kind of ho-hum. That was not a thing back in, in Dan Marino's time, and he did. I think he's, let's see, where I got Marino? I, okay, so I had, I got Brady, as far as greatest players ever, greatest quarterbacks ever, rather. Brady, Montana, Manning, Mahomes, yes, he's that high. He's already accomplished more than most quarterbacks have in the history of the game. Who's five? I said Elway five. So because Mahomes moved in the top five, I had to kick Marino out, which sucks because there was a time in which Marino was thought of as the second best or third best quarterback ever. Greatest quarterback, second second or third greatest quarterback ever. But yeah, I, I don't think, some people are interpreting this as like, oh, Montana's jealous of Brady. So he's he's trying to pump up somebody else as a way to take a shot at Tom. I don't think that's the case. As this, as this report says, he said in the past, he thinks Tom's the, the greatest quarterback ever. He even said, the quote says, definitely. So I don't think this is hated by Joe. All right, last segment of the day. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Got one more segment. So the last couple of weeks leading into the NFL season, 
of which, by the way, is eight days away. Cannot wait. Next Thursday, folks, NFL's back. Let's go. Doing my NFL predictions, by the way, on Monday. This coming Monday, so definitely tune in for that. It's going to be a big show. Ryan Flowers is going to be a part of it. I've been going division by division. Strengths, weaknesses for all four teams. So I started with the AFC East and NFC East. I've done both North divisions. I did the AFC South on Monday. Today, the NFC South. Now, the South divisions in both conferences, to me, are undeniably the worst. In that Now, by the way, I think the AFC West, who I'll do on Friday, I don't think it's as good as people are giving it credit for. I think Kansas City's awesome. Chargers are really talented. I just have major questions about their coach. Denver, great coach. Can Russell bounce back? They got injuries. And the Raiders think they're going to be a dumpster fire this year, as they tend to be. So I don't think the West, AFC West is as good as we remember it to be. It's crazy how perception can change in just a year. I thought it was the best division by far. I said all four teams in the AFC West uh, would make the playoffs. So, yeah, it definitely goes to show you what a, a difference a year can make. But the NFC South, which is not known for being a powerhouse, uh, you know, recent years, although, fun fact, they've actually, within the last, let's say, let's see, 15 years, that's... Is that, is that, let me make sure that's right. Okay, that division, along with the NFC West, in the last 15 years, are the only two divisions where all four teams have made a Super Bowl within the last 15 years. The Saints got there in 09? No. Is it 09? Yeah, Saints got there in 09. Carolina got there in 15. Atlanta got there in 16. And Tampa got there in 20. So we can bash the division. It ain't great. Quarterback plays suspect. Coaching, for the most part, is suspect. But nevertheless, there are strengths and there are weaknesses. So let's get the background music playing right now and go to the Tampa Bay. So. This is the post-Tom Brady era. We saw the first year New England went to post-Tom Brady, and we, we view New England as at least having a better culture than Tampa, if nothing else. So the strength, the strength for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and this is a, a legitimate one, the defense still has multiple starters from the team that won the Super Bowl. You still have Devin White. You still have Levante David, albeit getting up there in age. You still have, excuse me, you still have Shaq Barrett. You still have uh, Antoine Winfield. So you still have some plenty of starters on that defense that helped you win the Super Bowl that were a, a huge part in you winning the Super Bowl just a few years ago. Now, Tampa is obviously not in the Super Bowl discussion this year. That goes without saying. But I can see them as a team that puts a scare in some people. Again, their offense to me is the big question. But their defense, it's talented. It's still got some solid players. Levante David is still kind of the anchor of that defense. The question is, uh, and really the weakness for Tampa Bay is... With an immobile quarterback, and that could be either Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask if Trask replaces Baker at some point this year. With an immobile quarterback, the offensive line is still a problem. So we know Brady has always been a guy who was never like a running quarterback ever in his career. But I, I didn't think he ever got enough credit for this throughout, throughout his NFL career. Was great at moving in and out of the pocket. Baker's not great at that. Trask definitely isn't great at that. And so, and that offensive line was a huge problem for him last year, and they were dealt a devastating blow within the last few days with their Pro Bowl center, Ryan Jensen, who missed all but the playoff game last year with an injury, suffered the same injury in training camp, so he's again done for the season. So, 
now you move Tristan Wirfs, who's your star right tackle, back to left tackle, which I believe was his natural position in college. Is it is it like riding a bike? Is it is it like when you get back on? It's just like you you rode it yesterday. Is that how it is playing left tackle in the NFL? I doubt it. And so Tampa's offensive line, there's a lot of weaknesses in Tampa, but that to me is the one that stood out the most. And uh, look for the Buccaneers to be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes this season. To the Carolina Panthers, a team that, again, they're in that NFC race. Like, I don't really know what to do with them, but their strength is that their defense will keep games low scoring enough for the offense to win them. Carolina's done a good job in the last few years of drafting and developing a defense. Brian Burns is a perfect example of that. Didn't have an awesome year a year ago compared to what he did in 20 and in 2021. But he's a good pass rusher. They've got an excellent secondary. And listen, Carolina was a team last year and really has been ever since Cam moved out of his prime that has really been hamstrung by bad quarterback play or average quarterback play. Last year, you had Sam Darnold, you had Baker, you had P.J. Walker at one point playing quarterback. They traded a lot of their assets, most notably Christian McCaffrey, to the uh, the, uh, San Francisco 49ers. And so a lot of those games Carolina was having to win with completely reliant on their running game, and that defense stepped up toward the end of the year and gave them a shot. They almost made the playoffs because of that. So, listen, Bryce Young's a young quarterback, small quarterback that there's some issues you know regarding some of the you know some of the young players of a team whether or not they can get to what the Panthers hope that they can be but the defense can keep them in games and that is something that at least gives you a shot you almost won it last year a shot to win the NFC South the Panthers biggest weakness on the other hand is really just a question mark Bryce Young's size and inexperience are huge question marks for the offense inexperience that goes without saying he's a rookie quarterback there's a lot of rookies but I still, and I like Bryce as a talent. I like him as a, as a leader. Man, his size concerns me. You see t- clips from him at training camp. You see plays in the preseason. He looks like a child on the field. And we don't have a history. We just don't. We, we've seen small quarterbacks. Kyler's about Bryce Young's height. Russell Wilson's small, but is you know a little bit taller than, than Bryce. But both Kyler and Russ are built much more... Uh, in no other words, thick, so to speak, than Bryce Young is. Bryce Young looks slender. He's small. Good arm is accurate. I like him as a talent. But that small, again, in recent years, and I've talked about this, small quarterbacks haven't been all that successful, certainly compared to, to bigger quarterbacks like Mahomes or Burrow or Lawrence or Herbert or Allen. But it's... it's I like him. I'm not willing to totally buy into him yet as this clear number one pick. Absolutely the best quarterback in the draft. Uh, That's the thing that worries me for Bryce Young, but we'll see. Frank Reich's a great coach, so we'll see if he can get him to be what the Panthers hope he could be. I mean, they did use the first overall pick on him and gave up a lot of assets to get that first pick. We shall see. To the New Orleans Saints, their strength is a legitimate one. They have easily the best quarterback and weapons in the division. They added Derek Carr, obviously, in the offseason traded for him. Uh, I'm sorry, not, they didn't trade for him. They signed him in free agency after the Las Vegas Raiders uh, cut him. I talked extensively about that last year. They did They did my man dirty. Point is, Derek Carr is a guy I've always said is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL when you consider what he had to deal with. All the crap in Las Vegas slash Oakland in terms of the upper management, in terms of the, the, the character of the football team, not having any culture whatsoever, turmoil at head coach and offensive coordinator. He never once had a top 19 defense in the NFL. Never once. And now he gets to go to New Orleans. An excellent culture. A solid roster with excellent weapons. 
Mike Thomas is coming back. Well, I don't think he'll ever be what he was in 2019 again. But Mike Thomas is still a productive receiver in the NFL, I believe. Chris Olave, I loved out of Ohio State out of the draft a year and a half ago. Actually picked him to win Rookie of the Year last year. Didn't win that award, but put up a heck of a rookie season with up and down quarterback play. Now you got a steady Derek Carr in the building. Alvin Kamara, after the three-game suspension, will hope to return to what he was even just a few years ago, really before he signed that big contract. Offensive line isn't as good as it has been. It really you know, throughout the breeze Peyton era, but weapons are solid in New Orleans. And I think it's easily the best weapons and certainly the best quarterback in the NFC South. The Saints biggest weakness on the other hand is that Dennis Allen is a proven bad head coach. He's not, he's, we, we have enough evidence. Dennis Allen is a bad head coach. Folks, he's 15 and 38. Two years with the Oakland Raiders, four games with the Oakland Raiders. His last year for the Raiders said, okay, we, we've had some bad coaches. This is really bad. We're going to pull the plug on this. And then last year, with almost identical roster, I would argue, as far as the skill position players, a better roster than what was a year ago. I'm sorry, the year before that in 2021, Sean Payton's last year there, a roster that with Sean Payton starting four different quarterbacks almost got to the playoffs. The Saints went 7-10. and 10. Again, had a chance, given how awful the division was, didn't get in. That's my concern. I think the Saints are a team that if they had a good head coach, if they had Mike McCarthy, I think the Saints are a team that's good enough to win a playoff game. I think they're that talented. Defense will have a bounce back year. Cut up and down season last year. Offense is good. I don't trust the head coach. I don't trust Dennis Allen. I think Dennis Allen's a great defensive coordinator, but defensive coordinator, head coach, two completely different responsibilities, different jobs, different positions. That's my concern for the Saints. If they don't win the division, it's because of Dennis Allen. Make no mistake about it. Moving on finally to the Atlanta Falcons, their biggest strength is that their offensive line is outstanding, and their young weapons have much potential. They have a lot of guys in that offensive line making big money, particularly their guard. So, O-line's done a good job protecting, especially, remember, Matt Ryan. You saw him with a little bit of a beat-up offensive line in Indianapolis. Listen, Matt Ryan was, was 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 shot at the end in Atlanta. He didn't look as shot as he looked in, in Indianapolis a year ago. So, got Desmond Ritter in the building now. He's your new quarterback, at least for this year. He's going to have time. It's kind of like Jordan Love in Green Bay. Like, he's going to have time to throw. That's not going to be a problem. And their weapons are really talented, really good. Drake London, I like as a talented wide receiver out of USC. He had a solid rookie year last year. Kyle Pitts. I'm, I'm not. I'm not willing to buy out of the Kyle Pitts out of my Kyle Pitts uh, stock. I still think he's a remarkable talent at tight end who just hasn't gotten great quarterback play. And whether or not they made the correct decision or not in drafting Bijan Robinson as high as they did, Bijan last this past draft was by far, by far the best running back in this class. And so O line's good. I think the tight end's good. Receivers good. I think the running back's going to be good. He's shown flashes in the preseason. The question is for Atlanta, and their biggest weakness to me is that their quarterback and their head coach are completely unproven. Okay, you got again Desmond Ritter coming in. I didn't love him as a prospect out of the University of Cincinnati. I understand he helped him get to the college football playoff, but as an NFL talent, he again arm strength doesn't blow me away. Accuracy, eh, like it's just kind of an again very similar to Jordan Love. Good pieces around him, but it's kind of an ant eh talent. And Arthur Smith is not a proven head coach. Two losing seasons in 21 and 22 with different quarterbacks. Listen, we've seen, again, I mentioned Sean Payton, who's a Hall of Famer. You know, we probably shouldn't hold Arthur Smith to that level. But Sean Payton had four different quarterbacks start for him in 2021. And the Saints had a winning record, 9-8, and eight, and almost got into the postseason. Uh, that was the year, obviously, after Drew Brees retired. So, 
I do not love Atlanta this year. Uh, I know a lot of folks have them potentially winning the NFC South. I, I really don't see that. I think it's going to come down to New Orleans and Carolina. I think Tampa Bay is going to be awful. That's that's where I'm at. Okay, so got through the NFC South real quick. We'll go back over the strengths and weaknesses for Tampa Bay. Their biggest strength is that their defense still has multiple starters from the team that won the Super Bowl. Their biggest weakness, or at least they got plenty, their biggest one with an immobile quarterback, Baker or Trask, the offensive line is still a problem. But the Carolina Panthers' biggest strength is that their defense will keep games low-scoring enough for the offense to win them. Their biggest weakness is that Bryce Young's size and inexperience are huge question marks for the offense. The New Orleans Saints, their strength, they're easily, they have easily the best quarterback and weapons in the division. The Saints' biggest weakness, Dennis Allen is a proven bad head coach. And then moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, their biggest strength is that their offensive line is outstanding and young weapons have much potential. The biggest weakness quarterback and head coach are completely, completely unproven. It's a bad division, y'all. I'm just telling you right now, it is not good. All right, that's all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Friday. By the way, we're revealing a new Tennessee Vols segment on Friday. I'm a big Tennessee Vols fan, obviously. You can see the Tennessee basketball right behind me here. I got a, a Vols football helmet probably going to display on the wall at some point here. But a new Tennessee Vols segment to debut on Friday's show, so definitely tune in. We'll, we'll give you more information about that as uh, as it comes in. But tune in Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And, of course, be sure to like, to share, to comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid podcast network right here on youtube as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast be it apple podcast spotify iHeartRadio, google podcast any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast and definitely on the grid be sure to check out i'll put up the graphic here be sure to check out the eight o'clock spot if you haven't seen episode four from last night go do so on the grid network's youtube channel we'll be back hopefully next week at eight eastern five pacific time tuesday night best sports game show that there is out there even better than around the horn. I'm just staking. I'm just putting it out there right now. With all due respect to everybody around the horn, I think I think we're the best. It's a lot of laughs, a lot of great takes. It's, it's, plus, it's only a half hour long. This is a quick listen. So, tune in. All right. Hope everybody has a great week. I'll I'll see y'all on Friday again at six Eastern, three Pacific time on the Grid Network's YouTube channel, the Carving It Up YouTube channel, and my Twitter account or X. Talk on it. It's still Twitter. Hope everybody has a great week. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, especially here in the state of Tennessee, I saw what you did yesterday, Tennessee uh, lawmakers. We, we're we're going to remember this at the ballot box. Please call your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. I know I'm certainly going to do so uh, with lawmakers in Tennessee who – very clearly show they don't give two craps about keeping kids and teachers or really anybody safe in schools or anywhere for that matter because they want to hold down the power. We know how that how that works. So please make your voice heard. I I, I stay away mostly from politics on this show, but this is a subject if I feel incredibly strongly about. So do what you can. And certainly when it comes time to vote, go to the ballot box and vote for those who will enact change, Democrat or Republican. All right, see y'all on Friday. NFL season is almost upon us. College football is already upon us. We got a big game tomorrow night, Florida-Utah. Can't wait to watch that. Maybe react to it and carving it up on Friday. We'll see. 
See you on Friday. See you on uh, you know an opportunity for Tennessee uh, to 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 get to the college football playoff and a new segment I'll be debuting. Have a great week, y'all. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Go balls, baby. We're we're coming. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.